0: Good. Well, welcome to our Little Things First podcast, Kyle. We are so excited to talk to you and about your work. And uh, we focus on, you know, little things that make a difference for uh, students in our schools. And uh, and again, just thank you for taking time out of your schedule to be with us. Jim, you want to introduce yourself?
1: Sure. I'm Jim Martin, and uh, we're both... Uh, We've been in education for a long time. Uh, I'm a principal currently in a rural area here in Utah and was intrigued by your story, especially you've been in the news a little bit lately. And so we thought, well, we should maybe talk to you and see uh, what your history is. And if you have any recommendations for us, for our schools and how we can do better by all of our students. So um, thank you for being here.
0: Yeah. And if we could, we, we would love it if you'd introduce yourself and a little bit about why you've been in the news. Sure. Um, So my name is
2: Kyle Lukoff. I spent eight years working as an elementary school librarian. And then last year, last year? Yeah, last year, I made the decision to leave that job to focus on writing full-time. By that point, I had had six books published, including the Call Me, the Max and Friends series, and When Aiden Became a Brother, which won the Stonewall Award in 2020. And I had also gotten a book deal for two middle grade novels, both of which feature trans uh, trans or non binary main characters. Um, And. Oh, the reason why you found out about me, I guess, um, is because in January, I think it was a third grader brought a copy of my book, Call Me Max to school. And, you know, like kids be like, hey, I have this book. I like this book, would you read this to my class? And the teacher said, sure. And uh, Call Me Max is about a transgender boy telling his family about himself and telling his friends about himself and starting school and all that. Um, And I guess for some reason, some people thought that my book was bad. I don't know why, I think it is very good. Um, But as a result of one teacher reading that book to a third grade classroom, the school district decided to pause something called the equity book bundles, which were created to help support, I think, mostly teachers, but maybe teachers and families in talking about issues of like equity and race and racism and gender and, you know, all those important subjects. Um, Even though Call Me Max wasn't included in any of those bundles, I think there was some kind of anxiety about the kinds of books that were being promoted. I don't know. I wasn't there. This is all somewhat secondhand to me. Um, I connected with someone named Amanda Darrow at the Utah Pride Center to talk a little bit more about Call Me Max and my intentions behind writing it. Um, I was able to connect with other people in that community, which felt really great. And then as of last week, an extremely similar situation is going on right now in a school district in Austin, Texas, where a fourth grade teacher read Call Me Max to her classroom. And uh, apparently small, but very vocal group of parents took offense to that. And I'm not exactly sure the larger ramifications beyond that one teacher who's having a hard time, um, but it's the same book, same issue, same feeling that like, Third and fourth grade kids are too young to know that transgender people exist um mm. sorry that was a long ramble I didn't mean to go off no that's so great
1: that's great well tell us a little <laughs> bit about like what what led you to writing in the first place like you were a school librarian and were you kind of doing that on the side and then decided to do it full time or how did that all come out to be
2: Yeah, so I've been playing around with trying to write professionally ever since I graduated from college, Um, but none of my attempts really went anywhere. And then right around when I started my job in 2012, I got the idea to write a young adult novel featuring a trans boy as the main character. And I worked on it, and I worked and worked and worked, and it didn't go anywhere, and nobody wanted it. Um, And so I decided to give up. And At that point I knew, I kind of knew how to query agents. I kind of knew a little bit more about how publishing worked. So I sort of dusted off this old manuscript that had been sitting in my like Gmail inbox for 10 years about uh, collective nouns of animals and like little funny short stories using the collective nouns of animals. And so I dusted that off and I emailed it to an agent um, and she really liked it, and she decided to sign me as her client, and she sold that book, which turned into my debut, called Storytelling of Ravens, and then we sold my second book called Explosion at the Poem Factory, which is about a poem factory that explodes. Um, and then I decided that I wanted to try to write a picture book featuring a trans main character, because I realized that picture books were something that I liked to do and had some amount of talent at, and um, And then I wrote When Aiden Became a Brother, which I ended up selling on my own without the help of an agent. And then I wrote Call Me Max, which sold similarly. And then, does that answer your question? Yeah, yeah. My publishing story is like extremely long and convoluted. I don't need to go uh, into like every
1: detail. How many books have you written? Uh,
2: In terms of books that are either out in the world or are under contract, that number has recently jumped to 15.
1: Oh wow! Nice. Congratulations. Incredible. Do you Maybe. illustrate too?
2: Certainly not. Nobody. Oh,
1: okay. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, and congratulations to you for being able to take that leap from working. Uh, I'm sad you're not in the school setting and uh, being able to support kids who love books. But in other ways, you are still supporting kids who love books by providing them with some new, uh, you know, options for reading. And and we appreciate appreciate that and congratulations. I'm kind of curious about um, as you've sort of gone on this journey of writing and then, and then you know, at least um, in some places there's been some pushback about your book, uh, especially the most recent one you've made reference to in Austin and then uh, I believe here in Utah, you know, the the Call Me Max. Tell us more because if you haven't read this story, right, people don't know, but Max is how old in the story and what what kinds of things have you included that is max's experience i guess is what i'm what i'm looking for so that people would at least have a good sense about what the what the book is is doing or saying
2: yeah so call me max i would kind of describe it as being a trans 101 story it's really meant to explain the concept of being transgender in an age appropriate way to show one particular story that might include elements that are common to other trans kids, but not necessarily universal. And then to also talk a little bit about how how transgender identities and gender stereotypes are related, but also not the same thing. So we start by meeting Max, Max explains the word, or Max defines the word transgender to us. Max tells us a little bit about his first experiences going to school, like getting his teacher to call him by his chosen name, Max, and not knowing which bathroom to use and feeling anxious about that. And then there's two scenes where he tries to talk about himself to some of his new friends. So he tells his friend Steven that he knows he's a boy because he hates wearing dresses. And Steven is like, I'm wearing a dress right now and I like being a boy. And Max is like, oh yeah, I'm sorry. And then he tells his friend Teresa that he can't be a girl because he loves climbing trees and he loves finding bugs. And Teresa is like, dude, we're in the same tree right now and I'm holding a spider. (laughs) <laughs> I like What are you talking about? And he's like, Oh, yeah, I'm sorry, you're right. But I still don't think I'm a girl. Um, so I was trying to sort of parse out the differences between being cisgender, but having a more expansive or like being cisgender, but not being relegated to like the most stereotypical ideas of what boys and girls are, and also being transgender, but also sort of having an internal sense of self that is a uh, separate from the, like, cultural trappings of gender markers, but in ways for, like, six-year-olds to understand. Call Me Max is also an early reader as opposed to a picture book, so it's written intentionally with short sentences, simple vocabulary words. It's meant for kids who are in an earlier part of their, like, reading journey. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Can you, before we go on, define cisgender compared to transgender Mm -hmm. and how that might be the same or different
2: yeah, so trans and cis are both Latin. Trans means across, like going from here to there, like how transportation means going from here to there. And then cis literally means on the same side. So you see people might refer to something being cis-Atlantic on this side of the Atlantic, or cis-Alpine being on this side of the Alpines. I don't actually know where the Alpines are. They're in Europe somewhere. Um, so cis just literally means not having gone over. Yeah. Um, so, it's just the opposite of transgender. It's not better. It's not worse. It's not any kind of moral judgment. It's just describing the fact that you have not changed aspects of your gender identity or embodiment.
1: Mm-hmm. So, what are what what are some things that little things that educators can do to um, make sure that all kids feel welcome, included in the classroom? Those who might identify as transgender, cisgender? I mean, how how should uh, an educator approach those topics that are sometimes touchy as we we are finding out?
2: So I found that well-meaning educators often make it much more complicated than it is. And they also often experience a lot of self-doubt that I think is coming from a kind place but isn't necessarily well-founded in terms of educators who don't have the interest in supporting their students. I don't actually know what to say to them. I think they should find a different job but I'm speaking mostly to well-meaning educators who want to be there for all their children and don't necessarily know how. So I remember a bunch of years ago some really lovely teachers at my school that I'm friends with were sort of tying themselves up into knots trying to figure out how to tell the kids which bathrooms they should use on a field trip. Because at my school, it's very small. We only have like one single stall bathroom per floor and per classroom. So there's no question of like boys' bathroom or girls' bathroom, it's just one room. Um, But on field trips, there's the boys' room and the girls' room. And the teachers were saying like, I don't know how all of my students identify. What if they might identify something but haven't told me yet? I don't wanna force them or tell them. You know, what if we said, if you identify as being a person who would use the boy and just like tying themselves into knots, trying to be supportive. And I just looked at them and I was like, guys, just say, if you need to use the boys room, go that way. And if you need to use a girl's room, go that way. Like, you don't need to, like, you know, your students, they know that they can talk to you if they need something. It's not, that complicated just if you need the boys room it's over there and if you need the girls room it's over there um and similarly like i have teachers, i've talked to teachers who are so afraid about making the incorrect assumption about their students that they do not listen to what their students are telling them Um, they're so afraid of being wrong that they're not willing to just trust their instincts and also to trust that like they might make a mistake. And if they've created a warm and welcoming environment in their classroom, hopefully their students would feel comfortable saying, hey, actually, this is what I prefer. Um, I remember one of my students went by a compound name, like her name wasn't Mary Ann, but it was one of those names. And she introduced herself to me as Mary. And I heard other people call her Mary Ann. And I said, what would you prefer? I hear other people Mm -hmm. call you Mary Ann. You shared with me that your name is Mary which would you like me to call you? And she confirmed that she wanted me to call her Mary, but that other people would call her Marianne. And we just did that. I checked in with her occasionally uh, to see if she changed her mind and she never did. Even after at one point, another teacher was like, oh, Kyle, her name is actually Marianne. And I was like, (laughs)
1: I'm aware.
2: Thank you. We've had this conversation actually. Um, And yeah, just, I feel like if you're, if, If you consistently treat students with respect, then everything leads from that and everything comes from that. And even if you're wrong, hopefully your students would trust you enough to tell you.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think that's one of the things that gets in the way of uh, equity work in schools is that teachers are people, well-meaning adults are just afraid of saying the wrong thing or getting it wrong. And so then yeah. they think, well, I just do not say anything at all, or I won't do anything at all. And that's the, probably not the answer either. So um, I think that's really good advice just to kind of leave with respect and love and care and you know, if we get it wrong, then people will tell us and we can fix that and correct that. So I like that advice.
0: Mm -hmm. I'm curious, Kyle, have you had any families reach out to you, you know, as far as parents or guardians that have uh, kids who are identifying elementary level or elementary age kids who are identifying as trans or beginning that process of just talking about it have they expressed to you you know how the book has helped them or has made a difference for their kid have you had any uh, feedback from families that way at
2: this point i've lost count of how often that's happened okay um it happens in signing lines and I get emails and I get direct messages on Twitter. Sometimes I get messages on Facebook, which I do not prefer. Um, it has been really overwhelming. The number of parents who have come to me and said like, my child has never seen himself before in a book before this, or I didn't have the link. Like. My child didn't have the language until they read this book, and only after reading this book were they able to tell me about themselves. Um, oh man, I once did—I once did a visit where I was—I was reading when Aiden became a brother at a public library, and this mom came in with her son who was the same age as Aiden and the same skin color and the same hair, and just they brought their own copy. And as I was reading, they were like flipping through the pages with me. And at one point, I'm like getting really emotional right now. At one point, the mom, like I I saw the mom, like nudge the kid and say, that's your favorite page. Um, and yeah. It was just so great. Yeah, it's, I don't know, I have kind of low self-esteem and I like to pretend that all these things would be happening without my book. And, you know, it would probably be happening eventually, but knowing that I'm helping provide families with like models and support and language and examples is really overwhelming. And I don't like to think about it because I might just like quit because it's too much.
0: Yeah. And I think you bring up a really good point because I think it is important as we look at, you know, the, the, Materials we use in a classroom and the materials we use in a school, you know, it matters because kids do recognize themselves in the pages and in in the the images, right? That are there in um in the social studies books, in the reading texts, in the even in some of the pictures that show up maybe as a story problem in math. I mean, I think that that's powerful when kids actually have a way to kind of tap into. Just, that's just like me, right? That's that's someone that's like me. So that can be really empowering for kids who might otherwise feel isolated. Uh, if you don't mind, I want to just go the other side and just say, obviously, there's some families that have felt um, uncomfortable or threatened or in some way um, feel that that your text, your book, um, especially the Call Me Max book, shouldn't be in schools or be available for kids. You know, tell me about what you think those concerns are that those families are sharing um, and and maybe what you've heard.
2: Um, So for one to start, I have gotten a small amount of hate mail so far, fairly mild, Uh, one threat, one person urging me to change my religious, to change my religion to his. I'm Jewish and he apparently thinks I should be something else. Yeah. Yeah some unkind comments but I have never received an actual open-hearted email from a parent saying this is what I'm afraid of like if my child reads this book I am afraid of that or I read this book and I am angry because or my concern is that this will I've never gotten feedback like that And while I think that would be a challenging conversation, I would also welcome that. Because while I do not think that I would agree with a parent who thinks that my book is inappropriate, I do want to understand where that is coming from. Because I have my guesses and I have Mm -hmm. my assumptions, but I might be wrong. And I can't work with someone to help them understand where I'm coming from and help them be the best person they can be for their children, for other people's children, for other children in their community if I don't know where they're coming from. So my hunch is that there is fear. And I think that some of that fear might be like, similar to the fear that my parents had when I came out as trans, that the world is a harsh, and and the world is a harsh place and that this will expose me to violence. Which is an understandable fear, um, but also one that there are answers to, and that is something that creates more work than it does shut down, that creates the opportunities to help build a world where that fear is no longer relevant, rather than to say you should not do this because of this fear that I have. Um, I think that some concerns might be religious in nature, that is not something that I'm equipped to address, but I know a lot of LGBTQ pastors and theologians and people involved in communities of faith that do a lot of work around that. Um, I think some of those concerns might be just a somewhat chaotic mixture of uncertainty and like theory and philosophy, like, well, what does it mean to be a woman? What does it mean to be a man? Um, Misguided ideas about science and biology um on inaccurate ideas about history um a clinging to a certain nostalgia or the past about how things always used to be when of course we know that that is not empirically true um i've been out i mean i came out as queer in around 2000 and i came out as trans in approximately 2004 so none of those perspectives are new to me but they're also not ones that I have engaged with directly very often um, mostly because I don't want to but at this point I would like to talk with parents that have fears or concerns about my books so that I can help them if they would like that.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Thank you for sharing
1: yeah, um, they they ought to start by reading the book, right? Like many of them, maybe, maybe many of the critics haven't even opened the book and read it, and, and know would where it's start. coming from. So that would be a start. It's it's so, very
2: short. It would not take very long to
1: read. Right. <laughs> so um, so reading the book to uh, your class, or even having it in your classroom library, that would be, I think a big deal a big step um what other things little things could educators do to um to include the book as part of their classroom or um i mean you talked about just you know not not getting too caught up in what's right or what's wrong um but uh do you have any other suggestions um so how do you how to... do you how do you talk about these types of topics in a classroom um, if they might come up? I think that might be some of the fear too. Is um, you know if I share this story and then somebody has a question, you know, how am I going to answer that question or you know that sort of thing?
2: Um, I actually got when I was planning a school visit, I heard that there was some pushback from teachers yes. saying, "Well, but if he comes in and he talks about these things, the children might have questions." I was like oh, no, questions in school. Well, certainly we cannot have that. Um, (laughs) But I also think that you're hitting on something true, which is that transgender identities are a new idea to many people. And they are complex. And there are aspects about them that I don't discuss with younger children. Like... Sometimes kids will ask me personal questions about my body and I say, you know what, I don't feel comfortable sharing that with people I don't know very well. There are aspects that it, you know, as it relates to, I mean, I'm an adult, like I'm an adult trans person, I have adult concerns and those often are not ones that I want to share with an audience of young people. And I think that teachers are often worried that questions will veer in the direction that they are uncomfortable uh, discussing or, that there will be a question that they just don't know the answer to, like we talked about earlier. Um, And I think for one, like, it is always okay to say, that's not something that I want to share with you. And then it's also okay to say, you know what, that's a good question. I don't know the answer. Mm -hmm. You can go to your librarian, you can call your local pride center, you can say, hey, one of my third graders wants to know about this, I have no freaking idea. How do I tell them? Like, it's okay to say, I don't know the answer to that. I'm going to find out and I'll come back when I learn more. Like I think as teachers, we often want to be seen as this like infallible font of information. And if a kid says like, but how did Kyle grow that beard? And you don't know how to answer that. You can say, you know what? I don't know how Kyle grew that beard. Let me email him and find out. And then I can explain that in a kid friendly way, because I've done that before. Or if the question is like, you know, who was the first transgender person? Oh, wow, I don't know. You know what, I'm gonna go look that up and I'll come back to you tomorrow with an answer. That's okay. It's also even okay to say, you know what, I don't know. That's such an interesting question. I wonder if you'll find out you can share that with me. Or even just, Mm -hmm. I don't know, but I do know that right now it's time to go to recess. Like. Mm-hmm. you're a teacher like you do that like kids ask you weird questions all the time that you don't know. <laughs> do you know the name of every dinosaur you don't know the name of every dinosaur <laughs> right. like, do you know everything about trees or bugs
0: right and how why that person
2: did have- that thing like kids are full of questions <laughs> that you can't answer this isn't that much different
0: yeah
1: so do you have any recommendations for how um, educators might get the support of administrators or the their community i mean like should they it seems like involving those folks might be a good idea um i I don't know if you have any thoughts about that
2: i mean i don't i don't know (laughs) i mean every administration is Every administration is different, but I'm also, you know, there's similarities between them. There are some that are more supportive. There are some that are less supportive. There are some that are more concerned with parent concerns and some that are more concerned with teachers. Um, but I think that it is always best to try to approach any question as a collective and to find coworkers, colleagues, teachers, parents, community members that are. In support, in, in support of you that you can work with sort of together because one teacher alone can only do so much, but like an entire teaching team, an entire grade level, an entire classroom community can be much more effective.
0: And, and I'm going to go back to Kyle. I, I really liked what you said earlier and then bring back that word collective that I think the more that we spend time talking with each other and sharing really authentically with each other, what our worries are, what our fears are, how we want our kids to be supportive and feel safe. I do think that there's actually a lot of common ground in that space that we do want our kids to grow up, feel safe, get smart, be strong healthy, happy, have friends. Those are things that matter to every parent. And, um, and, I, and I would also just welcome, I think, the idea that we, that we open up that dialogue as much as we can, uh, to have civil conversations around, um, around questions and concerns that we have. And, and hopefully that can lead us to a place where there's, where there's better understanding and, and a deeper understanding. We're just about finished with time, and we always end with one question, and we'd love for you to answer this question. If you could travel back in a time machine what advi- and go back to your younger self, what advice would you give your younger self?
2: So I have two answers to that question. The first answer is very specific and not something that I share in public. Okay. Uh, But the second answer to that is that I actually, oh man, oh man, actually yeah, Um, I can pinpoint a few specific moments in my teaching career where I said specifically dumb and or hurtful, not intentionally hurtful, not like name calling, but like Mm -hmm. things that were hurtful to, I'm thinking of one specific parent and one specific child. And I would go back about five minutes before and be like, yo, I'm from the future, no time. Don't (laughs) say that thing, that's dumb and you're gonna regret that forever. Um, Like for the most part, I don't really want to tell my past self anything because I mostly like who I am today. And if I had avoided certain formative experiences, no matter how unpleasant they were, I would not be the same person that I am. Um, but I would like to avoid having this cringing memory of a terrible thing that I said for the rest of my life.
0: Yeah. Well, Kyle, actually, I think we all have that. Um, (laughs) If I could make a list of all the things that I wish I could unsay, right? uh, It it could take me a a little bit of time to try to fix all that for sure. So, you know, thank you. Thank you for just also putting
1: that back out there. Go ahead, Jim. Well, I just think that's all part of the journey, you know, we're all kind of, uh, and we don't know the specifics of that particular situation, but we're all saying and doing the wrong things from time to time. And uh, we just have to give one another grace. And um, especially if it comes from a place of, you know, care and learning and reflection, and it sounds like that's the kind of person that you are, so.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Good intentions, and when we talk about you know being kind to one another in that dialogue, and kind to one another in our you know in journeying with our community, right, and that connection, I think that that applies to us as well. That we are kind to ourselves, and uh, we use kind words and self-talk and support ourselves in this journey because it continues, and 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 we're all growing and changing every day. So. Kyle, thank you so much for being with us today, and I would um, love it if you want to just repeat, if you could, names of some of your favorite books that you've written to remind our readers what they should go out and find, and, and or maybe do some crowdfunding and try to make sure they give free books to their local schools or libraries or something. So If you could, just give them to us again.
2: Yeah, um, I have a novel coming out next month called Too Bright to See for a middle grade audience that I'm very excited about. I have a book coming out next year in collaboration with uh, transgender activist Gavin Grimm called If You're a Kid Like Gavin. You can also get my books When Aiden Became a Brother, the Max and Friends series. And then if you like language, if you're a nerd in the same way that I am, you can check out A Storytelling of Ravens or Explosion at the Poem Factory.
0: Very good. Thank you so much for taking time again to be with us. This has been uh, the highlight of my week and I really appreciate you sharing. Yes, I really mean that. And I appreciate you sharing your time and your insights with us. I hope someday that we can cross paths and you can sign my book too.
2: I would love to. I really want to come visit once that becomes a socially responsible choice. Okay.
1: You are welcome. Right. Thanks, Kyle. Thanks for doing <laughs> Thank all the work you. that you're doing and you're, you're making a big difference. We appreciate it. Thank Same you so
0: much. Right
2: back to you. Thank you so
0: much. Very good. Have a great rest of your day.
1: You too. Bye bye.